So today we are talking about your soul. Your soul. You got soul. Everybody's got soul, right? Um, I'm, I'm indebted to Craig Rochelle who wrote a book called Soul Detox. And so I've got some uh, thoughts that, uh, that he processed that I enjoyed that I thought I would share with you. Uh, but uh, I have this little green box, this thing, if you're ever in my office, you'll see this sitting on the shelf. Um, I have a few um, artifacts that belong to my grandparents, Francis Kai Holtz, who was maybe 5'2", never weighed more than about 125 pounds, my grandfather, and uh, my grandmother Goldie raised four daughters in a farmhouse with one bathroom. You know his life was stressful. And he was, a, he was a, a farmer who worked at Gibson Appliance down in Belding, Michigan for a, a big chunk of his life. He farmed probably about, I think it was about 80 acres, and, uh, and always had cattle for a while. He milked cattle, always had a milk cow. Uh, when you're growing girls, you got to have, have cow's milk back in the day, right? So that's, that was the deal. Um, and, uh, and so uh, this little box contains what's affectionately known as bag bomb. Um, it's for looking after the udders and making sure that they don't have bacteria. So after they would milk them, uh, they would, uh, if there were any cuts or sores or anything on the udders, they would take uh, and they would wipe it down with this antiseptic. Now, this little box is about 50 years old and it, it sat on their shelf. This is the actual box that sat on the shelf of my grandparents, uh, a little, uh, you know, pine cabinet kitchen. Um, they had this weird little cabinet right behind the door. The door would swing from the uh, uh, from the garage and right next to the door was the the oven on the right hand side a lot of really good stuff came out of that oven can I just tell you Graham was an amazing cook uh, but the door would swing so you had to close the door to the garage and then you could open this little pine door and there was a shelf that was about this wide and on this shelf third row third third shelf down was this little box of bag bomb and when we were, as my, both my grandparents passed, probably about within a, a year of one another, and, uh, and I just acquired this. Don't ask me how. I can't remember. I don't know why or how. But, but when they passed, I was like, when, I guess it was the color as a little kid, because I always saw this thing up there, and it just kind of popped, you know? And I was like, yeah, and, I, and Grandpa, you know, from time to time, if I had a cut on my finger or something, um, this was in the days before Neosporin, uh, you know, bag balm was what you put on your cuts, and you just did, and it's got kind of a smell to it and uh, it's got lanolin in it and you know some other good antiseptic stuff it also has a little uh, Moblo pharmacy sticker now you don't know anything about Moblo's but when I was a little kid uh, right next to uh, the J&J dime store was Moblo's pharmacy so when you're a little kid and you and you get just a little bit of money and you want to go to the dime store or you want to go to the pharmacy because they had some cool candy in there right and so Moblo's this takes me back I just want you to know this takes me back now, the reason that I have something in my hands today that's old, that still applies, is because when it comes to your soul, it doesn't matter that it's the 21st century, your soul doesn't know what year it is. Your soul only knows it needs to be taken care of a certain way, and there needs to be a certain understanding that is timeless. So the message I'm going to share with you is a timeless message. The message I'm going to share with you, even though we are in the 21st century, and I'm talking about D detox. And that wasn't a word that they used back a hundred years. What's a detox? You didn't have to detox. You were living a life. There wasn't anything to detox from. 
right? You had good food back then, not that junk that that we pass along for detox. What's detox? But when it comes to your soul, the, the principles that make your soul work are timeless because they came from the Lord. Um, you've heard me say this many, many times that you're a spiritual being having a human experience, not a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. You, you don't just come to church to have a spiritual experience. You're having a spiritual experience every day of your life. Because you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. So you, you, you are not a body that has a, a soul. You have a soul that has a body. Now, the reason for that is, uh, is understanding the, the primary uh, direction that things are flowing. Because your, your spirit man got born again, your spirit man's in charge, and your spirit man tells your soul what to think about and how to act. And some of y'all haven't gotten that revelation yet. I'm your friend. My name is Ken. Some of you have let your soul be in charge for so long, you just think that's the way it's supposed to be. But the Word of God tells us that we are to direct our soul, that we are to tell our soul what it needs to do, that we are to speak to our soul, that we are to not be subject to circumstances, but uh, subject to the Word of God, because then, the, then our circumstances are subject to the Word. But you have to decide how that's going to happen in your life. And so I, I just wanted to share this with you. I'll try not to trip over that and all that good stuff um, as we get into the text today. So I want you to, uh, I want you to look with me uh, in, into your notes. You, you, you've got notes. You've got you version, the same notes that I have. You also have the notes right there. Um, we are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. How many of you have ever been to a funeral open casket? You go to the, you go to the open casket and you say, it doesn't look like them at all. And you want to take it out on the funeral director. You want to take it out on the makeup artist. You want to take, but no, the, 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 the part that brought life to them, the, the, the part that filled out their face was their soul. And once the soul's gone, it's just the body. It's just an empty shell. It's not, it's, the, the scripture calls our body a tent, the tent of this body. It's a temporary dwelling place, but our soul's going to live forever somewhere. And so the most important thing that you and I can do is learn how to bring our soul into submission to the Lord. The, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Genesis 2-7, when God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, he took some dirt, he made a mud man, and then he breathed into him and he became a living soul. By the way, woman didn't come from the dirt. She came from the side of Adam. She is twice refined twice refined. She is a, she is man 2.0. And for some of you guys, you married so far up, she is 2 million point oh. But that's a sign of God's favor on your life. So no, no worries about that. It's not competition. Some of y'all need to figure that out too. So we understand in a dietary perspective that it's important for us from time to time to detox our body. 
right? So every year when we do a a longer fast, uh, it's important that you go through that phase of detoxing. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but some of y'all know what I'm talking about. So when when we instruct you and we say, now before you do this fast, I want you to spend three or four days with nothing but fruits and vegetables and fresh, uh, you know, and lots of water and before you do the fast. Why? Because if you don't, the detox phase will beat the snot out of you. You will have a headache. You'll have the worst. You'll have death breath. You'll like something died on the inside of you and is trying to come out right now. You'll have all kinds of physical maladies because the detox phase is a hard thing to do with your physical body. It's not fun. And then, but after three days, it's like there's a resurrection. Whoa, I feel better. Whoa, what happened? Well, you got, you, you know, your neurons are firing. Synapses are firing the way they're supposed to fire now because you got detox. And we would say you, it's wise to do that for from time to time for your body. But what about your soul? How do you detox your soul? How do you take the, here, can I just tell you something? Can we just talk for a minute? Uh, this is soul talk. So we're going to talk, right? Can I just talk with you for a minute? That your soul, your, your soul is in your body, but your body keeps score of what your soul isn't doing right. Your body keeps the score. If your soul's not where it needs to be, you're probably addicted to something. It could be the accolades of people, and we just can't see it. But you just really always look good when you come out in public, and you won't let yourself come out in public unless you look good. Because you're worried about what people think. It could be an addiction of another form that takes on another form. Maybe it's siphoning off money from your life. Maybe it's causing you to be further and further and further and further dependent on it. I don't know what it is, but all of us have an addiction to something because that is part of the restlessness of our own soul. Our souls are restless in your notes today. Uh, In your notes, Genesis 4 talks to us about Cain after he murdered uh, Abel, and this is what God says to him. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth, a restless wanderer, somebody that is interested in everything but satisfied with nothing, somebody that's constantly trying to learn more, grow more, learn more, grow more, but never able to acknowledge the truth, never able to get to the place of satisfaction. Everybody that studies addiction understands that the person who is addicted is not chasing the next addiction, they're chasing the first one. They're chasing the feeling they got the first time their brain ever experienced that chemical, that high, that euphoria, and they say, if I can just get back to that, if I can just go back to that. And the problem is, one drink won't do it anymore, now it's five. One one hit won't do it anymore, now it's ten. You're always trying to go back to, but you can never get there. What is that? That's the problem with our souls. And every human being's got one, and don't say, it doesn't affect me, no, I'm not that way. Because you're lying. My name is Ken. I'm your friend. We have, some of us have this inability to shut down. You know what I'm talking about. Now, this has gotten worse in the 21st century. When my, when my grandfather had bag bombs sitting outside, sitting in his kitchen, uh, right outside of his garage, he got up before the sun rose. And he went to bed when the sun set. 
And he was completely dependent on the cycles of whatever was taking place out in the field. He had a lot of time on his hands. After you work the soil, after you plant the ground, you got about three months that you got to wait for that harvest to come. And so what that does is it affects the person that's living by the cycles of, of the, the, the agriculture or the cycles of the livestock. It affects you as a person because now you can't just, I, I, just, I just think today I'm going to go out and do, no, you're going to go out there and you're going to look and there's no harvest. What do you got to do? Wait. Oh, we just love that, don't we? So the reality is that your environment affects your soul because you are often, we start as drivers of the environment, but eventually the environment drives us. Eventually the environment shapes us, it forms us, it makes us into the people that we are. And so farmers had time on their hands and they, they knew when to shut down and they, they aligned their clock with the sun. So whatever the sun was doing, that's what their clock was. But, but as Americans today, and, and because of the internet age, we don't ever have to shut down. We can do business 24-7 all the time, anytime. Doesn't matter what time it is. You can order something. You used to have to wait for the shop owner to open up. Amazon says we're open all the time. When are you going to buy that? How quick can you get it? And so what we have gotten in the 21st century is worse at waiting. We have gotten worse instead of better. Um, let's, uh, let's get into your notes here. Ooh, my notes. So we're, so we're restless. We're always searching. Um, Ecclesiastes 2 says, what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. Some of you go to lay down at night, but your mind won't shut off. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I bet probably 80% of you are like that today. Your mind won't shut down. I'm going to share something with you. I shared it with you at 8 o'clock. But this is, this is a habit that I picked up because I had to, when I was in college, when I was in Bible college, I probably averaged four or five hours sleep a night. Um, I would drink a half a pot of coffee. I don't suggest this, okay? I'm just telling you for educational purposes. I would drink a half a pot of coffee at midnight. Leave my lights on, go to sleep. Wake up at 4.30 in the morning and, and uh, heat the coffee back up, drink the other half, and go to work at UPS had to be there at 5 a.m. and then go work for four hours and then come back and go to, go to classes. And uh, it wasn't a, a good cycle to get in, but this one little tidbit is, is the, the price of me telling you why I did what I did. I, I learned to program myself to go to sleep. And so I can go to sleep inside of 30 seconds. A rough night for me going to sleep is a minute and a half. Holly and I, we joke about it all the time. So, man, I'm just, I've been thinking about this thing all day. I don't know if I can go to sleep. She laughs because she knows. It's been 33 years, the end of May. She knows me pretty well. And, uh, and she's like, you're not going to have any trouble. Somebody having trouble going to sleep, there's like, it took me 30 minutes. It took me an hour. Some people, two or three hours, 30 seconds. And here's how. When my head hits this part of my elbow and this hand hits the headboard, my brain knows to shut off and go to sleep. I'm just totally programmed. 
I'm totally programmed like that. I can sleep anywhere. I can sleep in an airport. I can sleep on an airplane. I can sleep in a car. I can, but, but, you know, what, what have I done? I've created a habit from my soul that tells my body what to do. Now, I, I don't say, I don't share this illustration that I'm some kind of superhero. I'm saying that if you don't get good rest, tomorrow's not going to be a good day either. And the next day is not going to be a good day either. And the next day is not good. That there's a compound interest factor on the fact that you need to rest. And I take rest seriously because I want to perform well. And so if you think it's all on how much your brain runs and you just let your brain run indiscriminately like a screaming child, you need to get some discipline about, uh, about that. So where do we find rest for our souls? Our souls find rest in God alone. You remember the little boy um, who was in Sunday school and he'd been in Sunday school for a year or two and he got wise to the disguise that everything God was always the answer to. And so the teacher thought they traded, changed it up one day and they said, okay, I have a question for you. What climbs trees and has a furry tail and is really cute and loves to collect nuts? And the little boy said, I know the answer is a squirrel, but in here, everything, the answer is God. (laughs) Your soul finds rest in God alone. Now, I want to move you from the place of knowledge today to move you into a, a compulsion to act on the knowledge that you have. See, my problem today is not that you didn't already know that God was the answer. That's why you came to church. What I want to get you to the place is that you can walk out what the word says so that you can have what the word says you can have. I want to get you to that place where you'll begin to practice the things that we're talking about because the knowledge will do you no good. It's only the obedience to the knowledge that you have that will cause any change in your life. My soul finds rest in God alone, Psalm 62, 1. My salvation comes from him. No other person, no other experience, no dream, no thing can give the eternal rest like the presence of God. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in you. Rest in you. This is what God wants for our souls. He wants this for us, and yet many Christians do not experience this. Many Christians just have knowledge of God, but don't walk in the knowledge they have. And as a result, they don't get the results that God says is available to them. And, and so when I ask them about it, how, how is your rest in God? They'll say, well, pastor, I know the scriptures, but anybody here ever take a, a music lesson in your life? And you were, you were taught some scales on an instrument. You are taught maybe a little bit of music theory. And then the, and the teacher said, okay, now practice this for, practice this, uh, you know, 30 minutes a day or an hour a day. And then we'll come back next week. And how many of you, did, you just were religious and you just diligently practiced every 30 minutes a day, every time you were supposed to. And then you showed back up. And, 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 and your music teacher said, okay, now go ahead and show me what you've done. And you were just as bad at that scale or that whatever it was. A week later, two weeks later, three weeks later. They know if you practiced or not. Jesus knows if we practice his presence or not. People notice if we practiced his presence or not. People around us are aware 
You know, if you, if you prayed an hour a day, you wouldn't have to tell anybody. They'd already know. You pray two hours a day, they'd be amazed at the activity of God in your life. Why? Because Jesus says, if, if you go to your father who is in secret, he will reward you openly. You don't need to boast about it. It's going to be obvious. How do I, uh, you know, the, the word says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So if I talk to a Christian who has a lot of worry and a lot of anxiety in their life, either Jesus is a liar or they haven't come to him yet. And that is a human nature thing. This is a, this is a pride issue. You know, because I know if I come to him, I'll get what he says I can have. But the problem is I'm going to figure it out first. I'm going to work at it just a little bit harder. I'm that kid that, that's, that's out in the yard playing. And, and mom says, come on and get it. Come and get it. Come and get it while it's hot. And what do I want to do? I want to just go a little bit longer. I want to just go a little bit farther. It's just another five minutes. Just another five minutes. You know, we do that with God. But he's the only one that can give us rest for our souls. So how do we find rest in God? Number one, be still before God. Oh, <laughs> pastor can't shoot me now. Be still. I remember, dad's probably watching right now, but uh, he'll remember the first time that he ever took me hunting. I was five years old. We were going deer hunting. There was probably about a foot and a half of snow. And when you're five years old, a foot and a half of snow feels like you're swimming. You know, and so dad, dad would, he had his boots on and he's doing this, right? And I'm, I'm five and I'm going, <laughs> trying to step where he stepped. So it was a little easier walking. We got to the edge of the field just about the time the sun was coming up. Five years old. I'm so excited to be hunting with dad. He's got the 30-30 lever action that belonged to his dad. That I'm named after. And uh, so he's out there. We're hunting to get me and dad, me and dad, me and dad. He's like, son, be still. Okay. <laughs> Dad, this is so cool. Son, shh, shh. Be still. Now, this is, this is my observation. This is not a gospel. This is, there's no science behind this. There was a time when I was taught kids ministry. I was taught that you, that you gauge attention span by their age. And usually if they're, you know, and you, and you get about a minute per year. So, you know, back 50 years ago, you might have gotten five minutes of attention span out of a five-year-old. But that ain't so today. You seen any of them kids? Oh, my gosh. I think screen time. It's like crack, right? So their little brains are going all the time. And so they can't sit still. And you and I are, are, we're products of our environment in that way. In the 21st century, we don't have the capacity. We've lost the capacity to just sit still and not have this thing in our hand. Come to the table. No screens. Drink your coffee. No screens. Still in the presence of God. Just be still. And, and so, you know, my dad would correct me. And he said, son, sit still, sit still, sit still. Be still. What does it mean to be still in the presence of God? It means you've got to have some capacity to redirect 
your understanding, to redirect your thinking, to focus back on the Lord, focus back on him, your attention. Squirrel! Back. Bird! Back. Be still. Fix your attention on him. And like I said, my grandfather, he had lots of time to watch that sunrise. He had lots of time that he's working with the animals and he can, he, he, can be, he can be in his environment. He can just be. But you and I don't know how to be anymore because we're constantly doing. Sit down and be still. Be still and know that I'm God, Psalm 4610. That's what every Presbyterian says to a Pentecostal when it comes to church. <laughs> Would y'all just be still? Pentecostals are those churches where all the ADHD people go. Be still and know, be still and know that he is God. Psalm 131 says, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Notice that the psalmist says, I'm in charge of this. I have quieted my soul. When was the last time you quieted your soul? When was the last time you took charge And you didn't allow the whirlwind of demands that are on your life. And I'm not in here in any stretch of the imagination implying that you don't have 20,000 things that are pressing against you right now. I know the deal. I work with people all the time who deal with lots and lots and lots of pressure. There's the internal pressure, the guilt of, of not being there for your family, but at the same time, knowing that the bills are coming due and you got to go to work and you got to pay the bills. And so you got to be away from your family to pay, to get the money, to pay the bills. But now you feel guilty because now you're shortchanging the kids and doggone it, they're growing up without me. And all of that kind of talk that's going on constantly on the inside of you, you are dealing with a lot. Can I just tell you the only way you're ever going to learn to handle it is to be still and know that he's got God, and you are not. Be the created instead of trying to create all the time. Be that field that God wants to cause to be fruitful. Just be still in his presence and allow him to pour back into you. Just because you're still doesn't mean there's nothing happening. In fact, when you're still, that's when the most is happening. That's when God is at work replenishing you, strengthening you, causing you to be who he wants you to be. Secondly, wait for God. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37, 7. We don't like to wait for anything, mainly because we don't like to wait. The other day, uh, I, we had uh, taken, we have a team right now, Sandra Smith and, and uh, Lynn Westman are in Peru, and there was a little bit of a follow-up uh, with uh, Sandra as it related to COVID stuff, nothing wrong with her, but the airline didn't want to let her through without a PCR test or a third booster, which she couldn't get her third booster until June, and so, uh, so they said, no, can't fly, can't fly. Even though when she got to Peru 24 hours later, they never ask her for a PCR test, right? So this, this is the way this works. And uh, so, uh, so I, I go to pick her up. I was available, and, and we were coming back. And I said, you know, I said, I've learned a little trick. 
when I'm traveling now because uh, the airlines are always doing what the airlines are doing, right? And, and you, you go to one gate and they'll hustle you to the other gate and then, and then, oh, that flight's delayed and all that kind of stuff. You just have to learn that if you were sitting in the airport, you'd be sitting somewhere. You could sit in your easy chair at home. You could sit uh, around the table. You could sit in that airport. You could sit, you could sit, you could sit. You've been sitting somewhere. You might be sitting on the tarmac. And as Americans, we freak out about that. Oh, two hours here, four hours there. Well, everywhere you go, there you are. Why not just relax? Why not just wait? Why not just have some patience about you? Why not just, hey, you know what? Here's, here, can I just tell you something? I'm, I'm about to teach you something. I'm your friend. My name is Ken. Most people lose out in faith in their walk with God. Not because they don't have faith, but because they don't have patience. They miss out with God because they had a great encounter. They started off well. And they thought, man, if it's always going to be this exciting, if it's always going to be this vibrant, then I'll just do this every day for a week. They do that. They think that way. And then the waiting takes over. Here's, here's what the Bible says. We need to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what was promised. Inherit what was promised. We need to get delivered from our American propensity to not want to wait. Because it's messing up your walk with God. You think when you prayed that five minutes later you're going to have answered prayer. Now, can I tell you that God will do you differently when you're brand new in the Lord? How many of you found that to be the case? Some people got saved, and man, I'm telling you what, God just began to orchestrate things. They would pray it would happen. God, they would pray it would happen. They would pray it would happen. They would pray it would happen. They said, oh, this is awesome. Rest of my life. All I got, you know, I'm about, I'm about, I'm, a, I'm on the 30-day wait list. I pray, and God answers in 30 days. You know what? He's just showing you some stuff. He's showing you he can. But eventually you'll learn he won't always will. Eventually, that thing that you're believing God for might take a year. Or two years or five years or 30 years. But does that mean God's not faithful? No, it just means you need to learn to wait. So waiting in the presence of God. Being, recognizing that God is actively working even when I'm waiting. Um, here's, uh, here's some, uh, some things that you can apply. You just wondered if I was going to give you anything to apply today, weren't you? Psalm 135 says, uh, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. What are watchmen looking for? They're looking for movement. They're looking for things to be out of place. They're looking to stay on their guard. They're, they're watching and, they're, and it's, it's an activity. It's not just sitting back waiting to fall asleep. It's watching. And as we're in the presence of God, there are things, three questions that you want to ask yourself. What do you want to say to me, God? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to show me? What do you want to do in me? 
Um, I had occasion to talk to a young man not, not long ago that, uh, that has an inheritance that's coming somewhere down the line, probably five or ten years down the line. And he's all excited as a young man would be about all the different ways he can spend it. And I thought, hmm, what kind of a person do I need, would, does he need to be so that he's ready to, for this inheritance when it comes? Because he could, it could be gone in five minutes, right? But what, what needs to happen in his thinking? What needs to happen in his soul? What needs to happen to prepare him? Because the inheritance could set him up for life. Or it could set him back for life. Right? So, so God, what do you want to say to me while I'm waiting? While I'm waiting for the inheritance to come, what kind of a person do I need to be? While I'm waiting for this promise to come to pass, that God, I love this promise and I'm thankful for the promise. But what do you need me to be so that when I receive it, I'm ready for it? Right? What, where, what position do I, do I need to be in? What kind of relationships do I need to have? What kind of attitudes do I need to have? What kind of knowledge do I need to be aware of before I receive the thing that you have promised? See, a lot of times we're just always looking to God and we never ask a question. What do you want to do in me so that I'm prepared when this, when this great opportunity comes? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to show me? And what do you want to do in me? Thirdly, this morning, reflect on God's goodness. Not only do we need to be still, not only do we need to wait, but we need to reflect on the goodness of God. God has been very good to you. God has been very, very good to you. God has looked after you. God has cared for you. God has protected you. God has done things for you that you are not even aware of. And, and so oftentimes though we complain, oftentimes we look at our circumstances and say, where's God? You know, I, I, I don't often quote him, but John Piper said this. He said, uh, he said uh, at any given time, God's doing about 10,000 things in your life and you might be aware of three. We, we are not aware because God flies higher and he digs deeper than, than we are possibly uh, aware to, you know, his, he said, my ways are higher than your ways, right? But God has his ways and he's been very good to us. He's looked after us, but we don't often reflect on it. We don't often t- stop and take time. Where did I, where do I get this from? Where do I understand this from? And sometimes here's the thing. You know, uh, I, I, am, I am not a guy that likes to maintain things. True story. This is my confession. Sunday morning. Maintenance is hard for me. My mind always goes after new things. I like big ideas. I like thinking strategy. I like thinking, hey, what would happen if we went and did this thing? And, and so the routine of looking after a yard... My only saving grace is I want to say this. I have given up the flower bed for the ministry. That sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? 
<laughs> and so I, I, I like the acquisition side of things, but I don't like the maintenance side of things too much. And, and so for me, being here at Lighthouse, um, if I just looked at the fact that I was in the same seat, sitting at the end of the hallway like I have been for the past 24 years, um, that could drive me bonkers. You know what, what really makes ministry happen for me is that I, I, I hear what God is doing in your story. I hear, the, I hear about the activity of God in your life. And as I listen to what God is doing in your life, I get just as excited as it's like the first time I've ever heard about God doing anything for anybody. I stay up with the goodness of God in your life, and I'm excited about His grace that is still available for me, but I've just heard about it in your life. And man, I love to hear your stories. Give me a testimony every day. I've, I've been so amazed through the years. This is the goodness of God. And, and here's what I've discovered about the Lord. If, 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 if God is blessing your neighbor, it just means he's in the neighborhood. Amen. Get ready. He's about to bless you too. Amen. He's about to bless you too. And, and so you reflect on the goodness of God, even if the goodness of God is happening in somebody else's life. Um, Holly is, uh, is on sabbatical and and so I've been, uh, I can't take her place. There's no way I can take her place. There's nothing about that. Um, and, uh, but uh, her role at Little Lights, I've, I've kind of shifted back over. I was the founder back in 1999, but now it's grown way, it's way more complex, way more stuff happening than I could I would know how to do. She knew how to do it because she can handle that kind of complexity. I can't do that. Um, if it were up to me, it'd be back down to about 20 kids. But fortunately, I've got, you know, she trained a team, a wonderful team there and got things in place. But here's the thing that we've been working on. And, and I say, well, okay, part of our core values is we're God honoring. And so uh, we took a scripture and we began to meditate through there. And I got so blessed just, uh, just teaching some folks about the scripture and how to meditate the word. And how to take every word there and just pull the, the life of Jesus out of that word. You know, Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. So when I read Psalm 1, this is blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of sinners or, or, or stand in, the, in the, the, the presence of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And, and so just going back to the basics of what makes my life work, I'm reflecting on the word. I'm reflecting on the goodness of God and I'm sharing it with somebody else. And I get all excited. I get fired up. Uh, Jesus, I could do this every day until you come again. Reflecting on the goodness of God. What are you doing to detox your soul? First, you got to get still. Do you have a place where you can just be still? One of the things that we learned as we were uh, taking our kids through the process of homeschooling was they couldn't sit in the same location where they would watch TV to do their homework. You needed a one-use area because then their little minds say, okay, now it's time to study because I'm in my study space. But some of us don't do that well when it comes to talking to God. Well, Pastor Ken, I'm supposed to talk to God all day long. Yeah, but when do you really get still? What, what's the environment 
where you find yourself getting still before the Lord. Find a one-use environment where it, maybe it's your chair and you just, when you get in that chair, man, you know, no remotes, no, no tech, just you and God. Get still. And then wait. And as you're waiting, Father, show me what you want me to see today. Talk to me about these conversations I'm going to have. I, I've got some appointments on my schedule today. How do you see that going? What do you want said? What do you want me to pay attention to? Oh, this is going to sound a little woo-woo for y'all. But when I pray for these meetings, I walk in this room and I visualize. Lord, show me what you want done. Show me how you, show me what, show me what you want me to bring with me. Show me what you want to have happen. The, the altar time this morning, saw it before it ever happened. Saw it before it ever happened. It doesn't mean it's always going to be amazing and profound. Sometimes it is. But I just want, I just want you to encounter God. And so we, we have to set up what we do so that every person encounters God. I'm not your answer. Jesus is your answer. If you'll encounter Jesus today and every day, your life will be blessed. Your life will be amazing. Your life will be, uh, you'll be free for so many, so many soul maladies that so many people get wrapped up in. Why? Because they, they think, oh, this is the answer and it's in a bottle somewhere. Or this is the answer and then it's pill, it's pill form. Or this is the answer. And you know what? They get hung up and they can't find rest for their souls. And so I just walk and I pray, show me, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Show me, Lord. I was doing a a counseling session a while back. The Lord showed me this little, uh, we call them prophetic acts, you know, but that's, that's like, that sounds too woo-woo. Communion is a prophetic act. This is the body. This is the blood of the Lord. That's a prophetic act. Baptism is a prophetic act. We go under the water, the old is gone, we come up in the newness of life, right? And, and so, Holy Spirit shows me these, these things that he wants me to do to get the truth home to where it needs to be, so that the word can then become flesh, because most of us fly on autopilot most of the time, until somebody racks us a good one, bonk! What's that, what's that uh, uh, famous saying, Mike Tyson saying? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So you and I need to recognize that we need to get still and we need to wait. And then we need to reflect on God's goodness. And you need to have fresh reflections every day. Don't be a kindergartner. Grow up. Yes, thank God for the roof over your head. But thank him for more than that. Yes, thank God for that, that uh, dining room table and something to put on it. But go, go further than that. Because that tells you, you need to learn something about your father in the midst of it. Not that he's just your, your cosmic bellhop that will give you whatever you want. But your father loves you that much. That you've got a father that cares for your every little, every little bitty need. Everything. There are things that God wants to show you about himself that are just for you because he loves you so much. Just for you. Just for you. Our house that we lived at Ferry's Mill, I had this in my heart, and I didn't realize this until I saw it. 
But I had in my heart this list of things that were in that house. And I didn't know it until I walked in that house. And the circumstances of how the Lord brought it around were very supernatural. You know, we lived in it six months for free. Walked into it. It had a, it had a fireplace. I, I, I wanted a fireplace. It had a basement. That's kind of rare in Gloucester County. There were just numerous things about it. It was made out of brick. I mean, just all these different things. And I realized this is the smile of God on my life. He blessed me. I reflected on that. You know, in my lifetime, I've been given seven motorcycles. You know, when I was a little kid, when I was a little kid, when my parents divorced, I, I worked out a lot of my therapy on the back of a motorcycle. From the time I was about seven years old, I was on a mini bike and whatever. And because of our financial situation, never could have anything that was decent. Everything was kind of pretty ratty. You know, my first one was that, uh, was that Tecumseh engine, pull, you know, pull, pull cord and, you know, centrifugal clutch that didn't half work and just all kinds of stuff. But God has blessed me through the years. Numerous times that people would give me motorcycles, seven of them. That's crazy. That's just Jesus saying he loves Ken Kramer. That's my, that's my word. That's my life. But he's got something he wants to do that's meaningful for you. It's my story and I share it today because I got the microphone. But don't be jealous. Don't be covetous. Because Jesus got the same thing for you and even better. It's more meaningful to you. Right? Be still. Wait, reflect, and you watch your soul get detoxed on the things that this world promises that can never deliver, can never deliver, can never. The deceitfulness of riches, the scripture talks about, the deceitfulness. Why is it deceitful? Because it promises what it cannot deliver. It cannot, it cannot deliver satisfaction for your soul. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus does that. Let's stand this morning. Well, yeah. The end. <laughs> Is this where you take about you? I don't know. That's good. Jesus, we just rejoice in you. Come on, church. Let's just let's just love on him. Let's thank him for his word this morning. Just thank him for his presence right now. Father, would you know us better than we know ourselves? We are so thankful today, Lord, that you have said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. God, I pray for every person today that they would enter into the rest that you have available for them. That, Lord, the, the constant whirlwind the constant stress, the constant anxiety, the constant depression, feeling under it all the time was never your plan. It's never your design. That the cross and the empty tomb provided for us everything that we have need of. That we've entered in today through a new and living way through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lives to make intercession for us, standing in the gap on our behalf and says, come to me, come to me. I'm not the dead Jesus. Come to me, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the title deed to your life in my hand. God, I pray that you just breathe on your people today. That they would experience your rest. That they would experience your peace. In the name of Jesus.
All of us have access to God by the name of his son. God raised Jesus to life. And when you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, you agree with what God says about him. The Bible says that's the day that eternal life happens on the inside of you. You're agreeing with what God says about his son. It's not about church membership. Church is where we come to learn about him. It's not about how many times you read the Bible. It's not about how many good works you give or how much money you put in the plate. You don't have to know anything other than God's own son. Well, what about this about the Bible? What about that about the Bible? Doesn't matter. Three men on a cross. One had cursed him and the other one said, why are we cursing him? He hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that guy got to the gate. The only thing he could say was, the guy in the middle cross said, I could be here. That's all he knew. And it was enough. It was enough. I want to be in that crowd that says yes to Jesus. I want to be in that crowd that says, Jesus, your way is better than any way I could ever come up with in a thousand lifetimes. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Let's all go together today. Lord Jesus, we call on your name. We call on your name because you're the one that gives us rest. We call on your name because you are our joy. You give us joy in the journey. You are the glory and the lifter of our heads, God. We praise you for that today. Lord, I pray for every person here, Lord, that they would find rest for their souls, that in the quietness of their own home, the quietness of their own, uh, their own backyard, that they would just pull aside and they would let you minister to them. They would let you uh, uh, whisper into their souls, Lord, your life and your peace and your hope. God, that they would have enough faith to take a hold of that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.